friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton from EPAM Continuum. I'm speaking to you from my glamorous home office, a stack of MedTech software manuals to my left, my three-year-old's drawing of a beach house on stilts, because I guess you're never too young to have environmental anxiety, to my right. In other words, I'm living and working in what we finally now call COVID times. It's a pretty standard experience, right? We're all dealing with the erosion of boundaries between work life and personal life, joining meetings from our car because that's the quietest part of the house. And now as everyone from grade schoolers to CEOs is spending most of their day in virtual spaces, breaches of cybersecurity are part of life too. Have you been Zoom bombed? Opened a dubious email attachment or clicked a link you shouldn't have and suddenly found that your files are being held for ransom? Are customers questioning your company's ability to keep their vital data safe and secure? We're all distracted, uncertain, and out of our element in this moment. In other words, vulnerable. Sorry to sound dire. There's good news here, too. We can design smart, responsive systems with security built into their DNA. We can identify the core elements of trust and protect them fiercely. And we can get smarter by listening to Sam Raymond, Chief Information Security Officer and SVP of EPAM, who is literally lying awake at night thinking about how to innovate in this expanding security space. He's talking the ins and outs and ups and downs of cybersecurity with Jit Agarwal, our VP of Enterprise Products. In this latest episode of Silo Busting, these two recently spent time diffusing the pesky questions of our Ken Gordon. I hope this conversation helps you sleep better. Jit, you've written, the most important element of cybersecurity to bear in mind is the reason it's there in the first place, ensuring minimal disruption to corporate operations. Guys, tell us honestly, how are most businesses performing right now? That's a really good question. And I would have to say that the scorecard or the report card is mixed. There are those organizations that have done an outstanding job of pivoting and adapting to the, the pandemic and their environment and their business to be able to successfully operate and run in this, 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 this COVID time, uh, the new normal, if you will, for right now. And then there are other organizations who were caught woefully unprepared and unable to make that pivot successfully and have, and have been the source of news articles and stories over the last three to six months about intrusions, ransomware, and the other things that we've seen in the news, which is why cybersecurity and security in general is such a huge problem for, for corporations. So I think it's a decidedly mixed result or, or review, Ken. Sam? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I'll, I'll just add to a little bit of you. If you look at really what's going on is, is of course, we have a number of, of pressure points right now that's actually making things maybe a little bit more obvious than before. But if you look at it, uh, as we start to move towards a more agile, more um, a faster world, you know, shorter time to market, and everything is about, you know, can I, I, I can't even buy coffee without using an app anymore, which is wonderful. I mean, if, if you... If you were a technologist, this is you know great because we're really pushing the envelope. At the same time, the attack surface is just expanding. And and with that said, I I would I would be really direct in saying that the traditional way of solving some of the problems that we have is it needs to be really seriously looked at. And especially around what we consider as the typical controls. And the typical way of actually modeling our thread and typical way of, of looking at, you know, what is really, you know, potentially could disrupt a, a business and enterprise. We, we now have a number of areas that we really need to look at at the same time. The good news is I think we also have innovation in space that really could help us and, and bring us to the next, next evolution. If you look at traditionally uh, where security is, security is in many ways 
actually an enabler to, to innovation, not a disruptor. So I'll get into a little bit more about that later on, but I think it's, it's actually a, a, a really good time for us to seriously look at how we actually model a lot of the ways that we protect our enterprises. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the challenges that have come up regarding sort of the distributed and remote access um, situation that we're dealing with now. And in the remote present, <clears throat> there's an increased availability for cyber crime, as we were talking about. Can we talk about how uh, specifically going remote has created new opportunities for cyber criminals to uh, to do their work, to apply their trade? Sure, I, I can start on that, Ken, if you'd like. Um, if you think about what the, the remote uh, world that we now live in and what that has now created in terms of access points, or as, as Sam said so eloquently, surface uh, for intrusion events, right, risk areas, one is we're now operating remotely, which means the, the interactions that might have existed to validate people that you're interacting with by virtue of meeting with them or whatnot is gone. You you now have to operate in that remote vacuum, and, and so you don't necessarily know that. Secondly, with lockdown, individual access, whether it's to individuals that are the targets or time for perpetrators, has all been expanded, right? You now have a lot more access to these people because they're they're available more than they used to be. Uh, and an additional component to consider is now with all of these remote systems, every laptop, every device uh, that is now remote becomes a potential launching pad for uh, cyber criminals to be able to use to get into the network and really create that damage. And so what that means is from an organizational perspective, they've got a lot more endpoints, a lot more access and a lot more possibility for uh, criminals to come in and, and really take advantage of this remote world to penetrate their systems and, and, and run rampant. Sam, your thoughts? I, I, I'll just add a few more things to it. I think, I think this is a topic by itself that we could talk for a long time. But it, it, one more thing that I think people tend to forget a little bit is around uh, what I call AO, which is area operations. There is a sense of trust that, that employee has. When you walk into an office, you kind of know, you understand in the office, you're supposed to act a certain way. Um, when you receive an email, you know that you're carrying you know, responsibility of, of, of um, treating that email with a certain sense of urgency or a certain sense of security. As, you, as, you, as we start to blur the line between what is an office, what is not an office, and you start to blur the line of, of you know, when you're engaging a customer, when you actually know, that sense is different. Imagine walking into, into uh, a bank you feel that sense. Everybody is around, give you that sense. Okay, this is a bank, right? And and you need to work a certain way. When you walk into an airport, you you treat you know a certain way. You don't joke about bad things and stuff like that. And and so that sense of um, it, this different area of operation is, I think, affecting us in many ways. Where targeted phishing and targeted type of attack. Um, becoming much more difficult to train and difficult to to isolate for you know normal day people, and so I I think that is an aspect of complexity that we need to factor in. So you know everybody's talking about trust no network, trust no environment, and which is really true. You know zero trust and everything. And but I think more importantly, we we need to understand how we're now dealing with microtransaction, micro pieces of work, people switch in context, switch between work. How do we maintain security? How do we weave in security built into it? I think it's going to be absolutely must have as we go forward. 
whichever way this whole pandemic is going to pan out, I think we're going to have to tackle that problem. Yeah, we sure are. And I, I think one of the things we need to have people more aware of are, are sort of the, the entry point techniques that are being used by cyber criminals right now. And Jit, you wrote about three of them in, in a recent blog post, phishing, impersonation, and, and malware and ransomware. And I would like um, Sam, uh, you, and Jit to, to talk about what you think, uh, which one concerns you the most and to give people a little more sort of um, insight into why it's so concerning. Yeah, I'll start first, maybe. So um, it's my job to not sleep and worry about everything at night. So it's, it's <laughs> to me, I, I, I looked at all the attack vectors and um, there are some that's, uh, I, I would say, just like anything else, there is no such thing as blanket security, first of all. Um, you, you really seriously need to look inside. So it, it's just like self-defense. Uh, you look at yourself and understand what you can and what you cannot do first, what's important to you, what you, it's not important to you. Um, you look at, you know, are you walking out in the middle of the night? Are you walking out in day, daylight with a lot of people around and cops around you? Or you walking out with your family at night and you have to protect somebody else as well. So you look at all those factors and just like you look at an enterprise, are you protecting customers' data as well? Are there sensitive data inside? Are there typical threat modeling that you would build out, classification of data that you would do? But that's really what you need to look at first. From that, there, there, all those things that you mentioned are entry points. Attackers are, it, it's a puzzle. As a, as a as an ethical hacker myself, I could tell you that it's it's a puzzle. And, and they always, electricity and hackers, I, I would say, have one thing in common, I always say, they travel least past the resistance. You need to make sure that you generate the load, you, you increase the, the effort for them high enough that they would go somewhere else, they would actually not tackle it because it's not worth their time. And so if you look at these entry points, why is phishing important? So I'll go through this list. I won't prioritize them yet. Later on, I'll come back to it. If you go through this list, for example, phishing, why is it? Well, the latest thing about phishing is targeted and, and, and much more about machine learning based phishing, which is they're targeting. They have context. They don't just send you an email and say, you know, I'm from you know, a certain country. I have money I want to transfer to somewhere else. And would you mind giving me your bank account? Those are the <laughs> old days. You still get those. But now it's actually much more. Uh, for example, in the previous company, I had a new um, had a, a new boss, and then uh, somebody actually sent me an email with the new boss name and said, "Hey, nice to meet you. We haven't met yet, but uh, would you mind buying something from me?" And so, if you look at that aspect of it, you know, it's that's the level of complexity that people have, and so a, a sophisticated, you know, background and, and, and system that they actually have, and so they're they're targeted towards people. They understand their database of understanding who's actually more inclined. To, to do certain things, who's actually got the money to lose, who's actually got. So with that intelligence, as I always say, security is a cat and mouse game. We need to up our game. We need to make sure that we actually increase. So phishing is actually dangerous because now the level of complexity, the variation, the old way of just fingerprinting and say, you see this email, that's definitely for phishing. That world is still there, but that's not you know where the biggest concerns are. The biggest concern is context-based, intelligent, uh, and targeted type of phishing. If you if you were to look at you know uh, impersonation or bots or fake identities and so on, that is a huge problem. That is a huge problem. Not so much because it's new. That's always been the case. Every attacker uses a fake ID to cover up their trails. Multiple layers of them. Every every uh, attacker uses number of different techniques to generate personas so that there is a false sense of security as they work their way through the system. 
that's not new. What is new, though, is as we go through it's a new world of having IEMs, identity access management, that's so big. Everybody needs to hold so much identity. How do you fish out? How do you know what is normal, what's not to find the attacker? That becomes much more complicated. That's why IEM is one of the most, and privilege access, it's one of the most critical area within the cloud as you go through it. And so that's the biggest issue that we're seeing uh, for people that's moving to the cloud, which is what do they do with the identity and how do you tie that to protecting your data and so on. And then um, last but not least, you talked about malware ransomware. Ransomware especially getting very, very sophisticated right now. We moved off from the typical ransomware, blocking a machine, pay, otherwise you lock your machine type to now extracting information to do blackmailing. As, you, as you've seen a number of times in the market where there are articles out and, and you could Google for it. But as you start to see, they understand the importance of information and they're doxing people, they're doxing information, they're, they're releasing information to, to outside world they can use to actually blackmail an enterprise. That oh damaged a brand, that damaged a lot of what they would have built years with their client and they know that's valuable. So we need to have a way to pre prevent those. And, and what I will always say is control the blast radius, which is make sure that you segregate your information, segregate your network, segregate your control so that the blast radius is managed as small as possible. For example, don't store everything in one gigantic database with one single key to protect it. Have them separate out pieces. Of course, you lose some usability in that case, but there are also ways to solve it. But anyway, I'll pause there for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to worry about. <laughs> right. I was just going to add one other thing, Ken, on that, because Sam obviously gave a very comprehensive answer. The one thing I'd say is there's a little bit of a false narrative or false comparison. I think that all of those techniques of intrusion are equally damaging and problematic in different ways. And so I don't know that one would necessarily say or could or even would want to say that any one is more damaging the other. Because depending on the circumstances, a phishing attack could open one up to a ransomware attack. And so these can then daisy chain on one another. And so subsequently, I would say that it's the whole milieu of challenges that, that we need to address, not just any one, because you don't want to lock the front door and leave the back door open. And, and to extend Sam's analogy, it's not just you know electricity and people that follow the path of least resistance. It's also water. And so subsequently, you know, water seeps in everywhere. And the same thing here with security. You got to lock down all of your access points in order to ensure that you don't get flooded by cyber criminals. Guys, I understand why Sam is having trouble sleeping at night. There's a lot to cover, and the people who are being uh, attacked here, the ordinary. Uh, computer users are the people we need to really think about. And my understanding from you, Jit, is that individual awareness and training actually can go a long way to increasing levels of cybersecurity. My question uh, for both of you is, is sort of, has the pandemic changed the nature of cybersecurity education and training? If so, how? And if not, why not? Where are we now in terms of informing people? So if, if I take maybe a first crack at it, Sam, you can you can chime in. I, I would say that the awareness of the of, of everybody in the organization to be on guard at all times has expanded significantly with the, the, the remote world. And to, to use the, the, the really eloquent uh, example that Sam gave is the AOR. When you're in a building and you're operating in that environment, you have a much higher awareness of the fact that if a male comes to you that appears to be 
semi-reasonable, semi-credible, or as Sam is saying, even more sophisticated, really credible, you would still be very skeptical because you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Now you're sitting in a remote setting, maybe at your home, maybe you're outside taking a break, still checking emails, and maybe your level of, of alertness is not at what it would be if you were in the office. So I think that the ubiquity of the, the need for being on guard, the, the, the access to that training, the need for everybody to have that training, and then for people to actively employ it, use it, do it, all of that has changed, and I would argue scaled dramatically with the advent of the pandemic at a, from a user level and an individual level. And then also the level, not just the, the scaling of it, but the level of sophistication means the users have to be smarter, not just aware, but more intelligent about how they think about their, their being themselves being under attack. Sam? I, I think that's great. I'll, I'll just add one more thing to it is, and this, this might take a much longer discussion. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that maybe as a hook for the next podcast, but but security, we always say layered security, right? Security by layering. And and, and um, one of the aspects about training is that there is obviously the baseline um, awareness that is important. Awareness is absolutely key. Um, however, there is also what's also changing, though, is the different roles that we're talking about. Um, the level of training is also different as as. We, um, in fact, we're pushing, you know, uh, secure software development. It's absolutely key for our business. And we push really hard to drive towards it. And we have a lot of, you know, experience in the space as well. But what it comes down to is if you look at developer, okay, that role specifically, the training is much more about looking at security as um, what I would call defensive programming, which is in some ways, yes, you need to innovate, but you look at, from an attacker perspective, what they potentially would do, then you step back into what you would do. So understanding the attacker, but programming somewhat defensively in some ways. Is that going to slow down innovation? No, I can get into detail about that and, and how that works. But but if you look at operation, the operation side, we used to do what we call reactive, like DevSec, we used to call it you know, reactive type of like SOC teams and IRs and stuff like that. It's critical. It's absolutely important. But at the same time, we need to also be more proactive now looking ahead of time because catching in the back end side is just not fast enough. So we need to educate the team to be more proactive in the culture. Everything falls back. If you look at the last major 10, 20 breach, data breach, a large organization, they could always trace back to one point where there is a culture of respect for security versus there's a culture of let's move forward and see what happens. That mentality is absolutely critical across the company. So I would say security has to be built into the culture of the company. And, and that permeates through your training, permeates through what the executive would say, you know, they would all act the same way and, and so on. That brings everybody level up. It's never going to be perfect. There's no such thing as 100% secure anywhere, right? If they tell you that, they're lying to you. But it's a matter of bringing that level up to a degree that the hackers would actually have to work really hard to get to it. And that's what you need the whole team to understand, which is their job besides innovating, besides building great product, besides building really usable and, and understanding user journey and amazing you know, frequency and releasing a product. Besides all of that, they have to remember, people can't trust the software. They're not gonna use it. So our job is to build trusted you know, software Right. And, and that's the key thing that we have to drive towards across the company. But so training has a big part to play 
within that. And the old way of training, of course, you know, is there here and there. But I think smaller injection of smaller training, we could talk more about that. Um, and even simulation. Simulation is a great way to train, you know, train people. Challenges is a great way to change people. Like, you know, everybody talk about capture the flag. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. It could be actually more about pessimistic, you know, looking at something, testing out the team, having a challenge game of some sort so that they can actually experiment, uh, understand the difference between it, maybe ask them to reply on a certain response and then they could try to. So a lot of those different methods, which we are using internally, and uh, I, I think would be would be critical as we go forward in a world that's more and more agile and more and more micro task based. Cool. Now let's talk about education on another level, maybe the highest level. What is the most important thing, Sam, a CIO in 2020 needs to know, for example, about systems and platform security? The most important thing. You won the one thing, huh? <laughs> well, I'm trying to keep us into a half hour. So yeah. Oh, yeah. That's always been my problem. So I... I I think the most important thing is to understand that um, software is defining the world in many ways. I know it's like cliche and so on, but we used to have security based on uh, we have the management side, like the CSIM side and so on. We have the tactical side. We have our red team for attack. We have a blue team for defense. We have a purple team for many of the two. We then have the white team for GovSec and all that kind of stuff. We still have those aspects of things. Those are all critical. But what is changing is because of frequency of attack, the volume of attack, the potential different ways of attack using you know AI models and so on. They really have to embrace the fact that security cannot be just based on a checklist, right? It cannot be based on just a control. It cannot be based on just saying no anymore. You have to say no, but it cannot be just based on saying no anymore. They know that people will just work around them. They're just going to have shadow IT. They're just going to go around and store their key in them. It just doesn't work that way anymore. Just like you know, you know, applications and so on. If security is not weaved in and it's not usable, people work around them. So they have to. The one thing I would say, my recommendation, personal recommendation to other CISO, is that they really need to look at security as built into their software infrastructure. They have to look at software as part of the solution. Call it software-defined security. Call it whatever you want. But the key thing is, if they if they continue to build checklists on one side. And then, you know, and, and a separate now that the wall and to prevent contamination across the two, it's still critical. I'm not saying to destroy that. But the key thing is understand that you have to have a new strategy to build security in software, not as an aftermath. It is complicated business, clearly. And and I actually have a really uh, important question for you about complications here about cloud security. Why is it so Damn complicated, Sam. What's going on there? And could you possibly uncomplicate it for us here right now in a couple of minutes? Cloud, cloud is wonderful. Cloud gives us um, flexibility, agility that that is needed to to move forward in the same pace that we now our our customers are expecting us to release their features. Uh, cloud gives us access, gives us scale, gives us the dynamic aspect of spinning up environment, spinning down environment allow our business to actually truly adapt to the market. That's what it comes down to. It's about a business adapting to the market. That's what cloud provides. At the same time, with that flexibility, with that adaptability, your attack surface, you know, changes. Think about, imagine your house. You know, yes, a house is very rigid. You have your foundation, you have your studs, you have your walls, you have your beams, and you have your post. 
imagine if those constantly move, how are you going to secure that house if you use the traditional way of just, you know, I don't know, put a few sensors on the doors, have a guard outside or a couple of guards around a building. And so how are you going to do that if the, if the house is constantly morphing? That's what enterprises are like right now with, with the cloud, which is wonderful. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But that's why it's so difficult. So to, to be more tactical, to f- I would focus on a number of things. Number one, identity management. And, and, and that's a key thing, which is because of the volume on the cloud that you can have access to, these are all great things. But at the same time, it comes with a cost because it becomes very, very difficult to identify what is fake, what is not fake, how do you imagine, how to control it. Second thing, privilege access. Everybody is concerned about privilege access on the cloud for really good reasons, whether it's your, priv- whether it's your secret, your keys and you know management and so on. Who can you trust on that platform to really be your vault, right? And then data. The old way of actually, you know, storing data inside a data center, ring fence it around it, those are gone, right? Yes, you can put it in private, you know, uh, uh, private you know, virtual network, private, you know, cloud, and, and all those aspects of things that you can actually ring fence it around still to some degree, but it's so dynamic. Some of that data moved to your, your application, some of them moved to the edge of use IoT. Some of those are pulling back in, you're pushing back out and have multiple data lakes. With all that aspect, you really need to look at your data strategy very, very hard and see what are you really going to do about security. We could, we, have a se- we could have a separate session to talk about it in detail. Last but not least, application security. Um, we expose API for everything these days because everybody wants to be a platform, which is the right thing to do. You enable you know, innovation. You speed things up. Wonderful things. However, every one of those APIs potential threat, right? Every one of those API potential hole. You you need blanket support. Mm-hmm. You need to protect them with with your typical way of protecting. But at the same time, all you need is guess how many APIs to actually break in? One, right? right. So that's what you're facing. So those are the key things I would say. You know, focus on identity and focus on you know your not then. I'm sorry. Focus on identity and your privilege access and your data actually you know strategy. And then on top of that, you know, what is your application level, you know, strategy? I, I, strategy. I, I would say those are the key things that I would say is making people. In fact, it's a big inhibitor for a lot of people moving to the cloud. From what I've seen in the last, you know, many years, and it just—it's always been that case, but it, more so now. So I would strongly encourage people to really design security into as they architect it, moving to the cloud. But those are the areas I would look at first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And I'd l- I know we lo- talk a lot about automation in our world, and I was wondering how you would propose, both of you, we sort of build security into that process, the automation process. Is there, is there anything you particularly want to focus in on when you're talking to companies who are thinking that way? Key thing is automation is a must-have. If you don't, you, you won't catch up to the volume. Um, it's critical, but it, it's not the only answer. So, so please understand that there's no such thing as automate it, walk away, I'm done with security. No such right. thing. So, But at the same time, without uh, the baseline without automation, you are, it's almost like you're, you're, you're dancing on a mobile platform. How can you secure something that has no foundation? So automation is your foundation. The more you can automate, the more you can control of it and the more visibility you have, the better. Um, you have to look at from all the way from how you build your software. So secure SDLC, do you do your scans and so on? Everybody, you know, I'm sure it's had that in place, your SAS and DES and IAS and, and, and that kind of standard. Some level of protection in application is critical. Then you protect your environment within the cloud. Those are critical. The key thing, though, is not turn them into silos. You need to tie them all together. That's the difficult part. That's the key part of tying all the different automation. What is it? DevSec, 
pipeline, whether it was your, your continuous deployment pipeline, whether it was your monitoring, your, your SRE group, that has to be tied together and then linked together so that you have visibility up to you, whether you use a SIM, your IR team, and, and, and so on. That has to be tied together. So you actually see a software is being built, somebody actually missed a check or it's, a software is being built, they're issued, people ignore them. As they go out to release, we saw that there were people actually attacking a certain vulnerability. There's a memory space in there, somebody could scrape. Well, that goes back to development. They should feed it back to development immediately. That has to be a connected loop. So automating all these different pieces, a stopgap, wonderful. Please do that. At the same time, what you bring, what you gain is the insight from that automation, which is bring all that data together, summarize that, pull it together so that your mm-hmm. automation mm-hmm. can what? Keep getting better and better and better. I have a couple of things I wanted to add. Um, let me talk about the first thing. And, and Sam had mentioned this earlier. I, I think in terms of the, the one thing that I would say to, to, to folks that looking at security is, you know, there, there was the whole day and age of, of being internet native, right? When the internet came along, it was, everybody had to be internet native. There was the big Microsoft memo from Bill Gates. And then you went to mobile native because mobile came on. It was a ubiquitous platform and everybody had to go mobile native. And then there's digital native that came thereafter with digital transformation and now cloud native. I would argue that we have almost entered into an era where you're now at the new concept of security native where security has to be a native thing that happens for an organization in their systems and their technologies and their platforms, just like the internet, the, the mobile, the cloud. Now you're in this age because operating in this very connected and interconnected world that we live in means that you have to be security native in order to adopt it, embrace it at a level that makes it critical to your function and as just as part of the 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 biology if you will or the ecology of your technology solution so that you can succeed if you don't have that you're really going to run into critical flaws and problems and your your systems your technologies your platforms are not going to succeed because as sam said they're either become going to become too complicated people are going to subvert them or they're going to be too ad hoc in which case, or patchwork, in which case they're going to be easy to find holes or, or look for gaps because you're constantly putting Band-Aids on a problem rather than engineering it in mm-hmm. from the guts in, right? So so that would be the first thing I would say is I would argue we're in an era of security nativity, just like we were in some of the other uh, evolutions in the marketplace. The, the, the second thing that I would comment on is, is with regards to how you then adopt that security nativity in your organization is exactly as, as Sam has articulated. If you think about how you automate your build processes and development of software across your SDLC, it has to be that security is a, an integral part of every step in the process in order to ensure that the output generates a result that's security native. It's not something you, security is not something you tack on or you treat as an afterthought or you look at and say, okay, we'll deal with that at the end. If you're not dealing it with, with it throughout the process, then ultimately you're not going to have that security native model. You're not going to build systems that are going to be secure end to end in a, a acceptable and easy to use point of view. And then subsequently you're gonna have lots of points of failure and go back to what we talked about in the earlier part of this podcast of all the problems and pain points. So those would be the, the couple of thoughts I'd have on this side, Ken. Cool. So finally, I want to swing back to a theme you mentioned earlier, Sam, about trust and the importance of trust in cybersecurity. I'd like to know from both of you who you think has done a really good job of building that trust here, who we could look to as an exemplar uh, of, of trust building. I'll let you go first, Jit. 
<laughs> I was just going to say, I think I'll let you tackle it. <laughs> so, I, so listen, I don't know that I would say that there's any one organization or entity or company or, or, or business that necessarily I would say is the best or the worst at this. I think there's grades of shade, uh, shades of gray, sorry, uh, that are out there. Uh, it, but at the end of the day, I, I go back to some of the core principles that Sam has talked about that I've talked about. Organizations that will do and, and are going to be successful are the ones who take that security native approach are the ones who look at their system end-to-end and how they can design and build it to be more secure and then enable their organization, their, their, their employees, their customers, their ecosystem partners at not to be aware and to be able to exercise the best security protocols. Because I, I 100% agree, there's no such thing as 100% foolproof or 100% secure. You, you've heard that saying, of course, if you, if you uh, make it idiot-proof, they'll just build a better idiot, right? And I think the same thing is true on security, <laughs> right? If, if you try to make it 100% secure, it's a cat and mouse game. They'll, they'll come up with another mousetrap, and, and so you'll find that it's not nearly as secure as you think. That would be my kind of way of answering it. Sam? In God I trust everything else I question. So <laughs> I think it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's a tough one. I, I do have a few companies I think they're doing a little bit better. They're, they've generated a level of trust. I, I need to step back a little bit and talk about what is trust. Trust is a sense of, you know, if you go back, and I was actually looking at the origin of the word too before the session, and I was looking at it. it but it really what it comes down to is, is um, is really a sense of integrity of something. It's it's a strength or a level of how much you can trust something. It's about, we, we make decisions every second, consciously or not. We make decisions every second based on a number of things. But the key aspect of it is, you know, based on, now I'm getting a little esoteric, but based on happiness, based on, you know, joy, pleasure versus, you know, pain and all that stuff. But what it comes down to is based on trust is a big part. You make a right turn because you trust that that turn is you know safe, or you 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 make a step because you trust that the next ground, I mean, the next step that you're going to land on is in the ground. And everything we do, and and as we build software, is the same way. We we innovate um, when we we innovate far better, and I know this very very well. We innovate innovate far better and faster and 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 more productive when we trust uh, people we work with, the environment we're in and so on, there has to be a level of questioning as well because a blind faith or blind, you know, just trust would basically go off and, and would not, there was a reason why skepticism is so important. But at the same time, we, we can work better when we work with people we can trust. When there is no trust, you double, you, 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 you think twice before you work with somebody, you question somebody's motive, you question, software is exactly that same way. When a piece of software breaks down on you or lost your identity one time or after a couple of times and, you know, you heard about that company's name and say they lost people, you know, data again, they would question. They might not stop altogether in the beginning, but they would slow down subconsciously or consciously. They might slow down before they start using, you know, that service and, and, and this is becoming, as we embrace software as the core of how we actually interact, work with people, innovate, build software, run business, and, and talk to our kids even. And as we start to do that more and more, that trust and that platform is absolutely critical. 
And that trust is built in a number of things. You build trust with consistency, meaning that, you know, I, I think there was a, this was the previous CEO for McDonald's, or I remember reading a section about, it doesn't matter whether you like these burgers or not, but, you know, if one day you like it, but the next day you don't like it, then he thinks he's failed because consistency is everything. And I think security is exactly the same way. I don't care where you are today. As you know where that stable platform is and you step up, getting better and better, that's the most important thing. Otherwise, you, you, you're fighting a moving battle. You would not win. And so that consistency is absolutely critical. And you also trust something when you have visibility. If I can't see you, uh, I talk to you on a phone for the first time. I, I don't trust you as much anywhere near as I meet you in person, understand you. I see you day in and day out. Mm-hmm. That visibility is the same for data and for application. If you understand how that software is actually working, have that visibility is absolutely critical. Yes, there is a side effect of that is that that visibility you know would help hackers as well, but that's a different discussion we could talk about. So with those two things, then what it really comes down to is that um, that I, I call it culture, but very much is you walk into a bank, for example, it gives you that sense of being safe, and and there. That perception of, of being safe is also very, very important because as you go through that, you can actually start to work in an environment that, you know, you understand that security is an important aspect of it. So that sense, that aura, that culture, whatever you want to call it, is absolutely critical. Those are the key things that would foster an environment that you could build trust. And as I said, it would help innovation. It would help, you know, you work with your client. And it would also help a lot as when bad things happen. When bad things happen, people usually panic. When they panic, when they lose trust, the side effect is they spike up and then they generate a lot of more issues than before. Many times I've seen system administrator make a huge mistake because they panic and they did the worst thing, which is either they shut down a system to do certain things or they open up. It's a very typical, I don't want to get into detail about it, but it's a very typical attack tactic. They actually generate smoke to generate fear so to divert your attention to it. And they come in through another gateway. So that's why it's important for you to understand what your baseline is. Have that sense of, say, think about a person walking down the street. They understand what training they've gone through. They know how they can defend themselves. They understand that when something bad happened, they react in a calm fashion. Versus if somebody's always concerned, not trusting anything, don't know what's going on. They would actually react in a really bad fashion when something bad happened. So those are the key things that I think would foster trust, and it's absolutely what we have to do as we start to go towards a more more agile, even more agile than now, and more micro tasks, as I talked about a couple of times. Th- that has a very um, – it's a different world. I looked at how my kids, you know, they, they interact with friends and how they work. It's even different from my world now. It's, it's just – it's critical how we can actually build that into a much more of a sense, not just in one transaction of an application, but how does that work across the whole lifetime of an application? How do you build that across the whole? It's not just about one page in a website. How do you build that across your whole brand that you actually have that sense of trust, that they know that, you know, you can take care of the customer, you work, you, you do the right thing when it comes down to it. But anyway, yeah, it's a big topic. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Jen Agarwal for their great conversation. Cheers to Kip Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to crash a party on Zoom. <laughs>